Well, greetings and welcome to The Dividing Line. Boy, everything looks different around here. Every time I leave, it's Rich and my wife both basically try to wipe out any evidence of my existence while I'm gone. It's really weird. I come back in here. Everything's moved around. Um, my mouse doesn't work. I've got completely new cameras. Uh, that Why does an ugly face like this need 4K? I'm thinking 640 by 480. Stop that. Um, quit playing around with that. Uh, get back to where you work. Don't don't mess. Don't no 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 none of that kind of stuff. Um, in fact, you were tired than that before. But anyway, uh, so Rich has stuff to play with now. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, every time I come back, everything everything's different and changed. The um, twenty twenty three Reform Podcast Championship. Uh, thing back there, so that's I guess good. But uh, I'm hey, I'm I'm sort of used to having control now. Uh, I don't have a little, th- I don't have any buttons to push or nothing. Yeah, there's he, there's is that is that that's that mine right there? Uh huh. Okay. So, <clears throat> well, you could put one in here. Oh. Okay. So allegedly, I'm being told. I'm I'm being told allegedly that um next week I have to do this on my own. Um so I have to I have to somehow figure all this stuff out. So it's you might just want to tune in next week just for the laughs. Um if it even gets posted, you know, because it it may not uh even get recorded or you know it it reminds me it, it I, for some reason I was just thinking about <clears throat> years and years and years and years ago when they first introduced wireless microphones we tried them at the church i was at um this big huge southern Baptist church and uh the one time we tried them all of a sudden a local country music station popped in (laughs) on the frequency and um we didn't use them again i'm sure they did eventually but um not not while i was there anyway here we are back in phoenix I'm not coughing my head off, thankfully. I think I turned the corner last night. <clears throat> I would like to thank uh, whoever in prior Oklahoma <laughs> graciously granted to me the gift of uh, respiratory infection. But I'm hearing everybody these days either has this or the stomach thing. Um, but have you noticed the regime hasn't said anything? Uh, we don't have any mask mandates. And yet, I would imagine that the mortality rate is pretty much the same for the vast majority of the population <clears throat> as it was for COVID, which, um, anyways, that's not even... I can't even talk about stuff like that. Where are we Where are we live streaming? Facebook. Yeah, I can't talk about that on Facebook. No, I can't. No, I can't. You know that. Um, you're, you're well aware of the fact. I can't... Uh, no, no. 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 Until we have Twitter, and then who knows how long Twitter's going to last. E- look, eventually it's only going to be Odyssey. Um, we just we all know what's what's coming. In fact, I posted a video from that Robinson fellow in um, England talking about all the friends of his and all the uh, podcasts and organizations there in the UK. Um, all of their bank accounts are being canceled. And they can't find banks to open an account with. 
because they don't support the narrative. Chick-fil-A is now going for their ESG score. And if if you're wondering why all, all this is happening, other than the judgment of God taking out the United States for its sin, um, if you're wondering why all this is happening, I I didn't understand it either, but I've had a number of smart people um, direct me to sources demonstrating that it's not the it's not the tyrants in the Biden regime that are doing this, though they're allied with the people that are. It's people at BlackRock and these huge conglomerates that control banks and industry. And if you want to get, you have to have a a, a certain ESG score, DEI, ESG, all this stuff um, to get a decent bank loan, to get a decent rate on a bank loan. And and people keep saying, why would would these companies just absolutely, I mean, look at what has happened to Target, $10 billion in market value, gone, Uh, a billion dollars a day. Uh, Bud Light just destroyed. Why? Um, because you can get better loan rates. And that ends up making up for all that money. I mean, I'm no financier. Um, but what, what everybody's telling me is that's, that's what this is all about. Is, um, you know, just having your place in the corporate world. And the people at the top have decided we are going to destroy um, the United States of America. We're going to destroy Western culture. We're going to destroy um, Judeo-Christian values, sexuality, humanity, um, all of it. Got to go. And so we're just going to use money to do it. And we're going to use people's greed to do it. Uh, they're the same people destroying farms, the same people destroying livestock. They want us hungry, poor, and dependent. I, I can't help but think of just one movie. What was that movie with Matt Damon in it, um, where all the the elites live up on a space station and they have special medical treatments and the, and all the rest of the stuff, and all the rest of the scum live in township-type towns, townships from South Africa, uh, Soweto and stuff like that, back on Earth. Um, that's, that's their goal. That's what they want. And they are accomplishing it. It is astonishing at the rate. Um, they, they, they labored for decades. They laid the foundation. They prepared the environment, educational system, universities. Uh, they, they made it so people think that the first place you turn um, is to the government. The government needs to do this for me. The government needs to do that for me. And so they... You, you got to give them credit. They had their goal. And um, now, <clears throat> they're not going to accomplish it in the end. They don't realize that what they're doing, they do realize it's rebellion against God. But um, they don't realize that you can't live in the world God created in that way. And it's all going to fall down on top of itself. Uh, but, yeah, as it may, um, we have to go through the, the judgment in the process. And so... Anyways, before we get to other stuff and get back into that, I have with me a little item that I showed um, from the mobile unit, uh, which is currently in storage and um, I think is going to 
It's going to be really interesting when I pull that thing back out of storage in just a matter of weeks. Um, we've got to, unfortunately, we're going to have to take that background down and redo it. Um, we're going to have to pull that and then clean that surface and then use some kind of pre-adhesive something um, to to do it right. But, hey, I got really close. I, I it, it, Nobody could tell, but it's not going to survive. Um, but it can be done and, uh, we will, we will make it happen and I love it and it's, it's great to be able to do that. Anyways, I showed you this and, Ooh, better be careful. Um, this is our Derek Melton forged. Um, I don't know how he would describe this. He, he had a specific thing, especially for this handle. Um, and I saw what the handle looked like as a block. I'm not sure exactly how he does this. Uh, he has this, uh, well, it's changing. Uh, he, he's having a, a new, um, workshop built, but, uh, anyway, it is, he said, this is the most amazing Damascus steel that he's, he's, he's ever forged. And it is uh, truly truly gorgeous it is uh, it's a piece of 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 art uh with a really nicely made and it clicks right in there that's why it took me a second to get it out there and um sheath and so this was originally for the fundraiser and you all have already been so gracious we have paid off those things um but so now you know i sat my my the, the new rv sat in uh, Derek's right in front of right in front of I mean literally I was parked I was plugged into the same electrical circuit okay that runs the forge and all the rest of that stuff um and so I was right next to the workshop just across the lawn from from the house um I got to uh, uh have to dodge Sadie uh their new uh puppy who is a puppy and who loves to jump um but will be a much calmer Australian Shepherd in the future, I'm sure. Um, and their little teeny, they got a little teeny tiny kitty that, that I fell in love with and fell, fell in love with me two years ago, a uh, little princess. And uh, she's skin and bones now, uh, just like my Darth is, uh, skin and bones. They're, they're at the end of their, end of their run, and, uh, but it was sweet to see all them. Anyways... Uh, point being, uh, to get back to places like prior, we have the travel fund. And so uh, the kindly donated um, items uh, will, will be going to the travel fund. And so I'm not sure. Did we announce what the Bible's final thing was? I think we. I think I may have. I, I, uh, yeah. So um, very, very thankful uh, to those who... Uh, made bids toward the Jeffrey Rice rebind. The final on that was $1,700. That was really, really amazing. And um, uh, just so thankful to Jeffrey and to everybody who made that possible. So when are you going to put it up? Well, I can put that up today. He, Rich says he can put it up today or tomorrow. The only thing is we have to limit it to the United States. It's a knife. Literally, you can't own this in London. It's astonishing, but it's true. You can't own it in London. Sorry, guys, but uh, that's that's the way it is. 
So we don't want to have to play games with stuff getting hung up in customs and all the rest of that kind of stuff. So we're going to have to limit it to the, uh, to the U.S. where you can still own a knife, um, at least in most places. Maybe we should keep New York City out and San Diego, as, as San Francisco, as if anybody there would be bidding on it anyways. But, um, and we'll be putting that up, and that will be going toward the travel fund. We have um, three more trips uh, this one, two, three more trips this year. Um, the one in July is about 4,300 miles, 33 days. I have not started booking um, September yet. I need to. Uh, but that one takes me all the way back to uh, Pennsylvania, Atlanta. That's going to probably be, I estimate, around 5,300 miles, something like that. Um, and uh, so got to make all that happen. And so we very much appreciate Pastor Melton's support and um, looking forward to, there is a little, there is a little competition. You know, there are people going, which one's going to get the biggest, uh, biggest uh, bid? Um, And uh, if you're familiar with handmade blades and stuff like that, um, then, then you have some idea what something like this would normally go for. And, um. So we'll see what happens from there. So that'll be great. All right. uh, Watch. That'll be on Facebook as we are at the moment. Anyways, for now, until we're not. Um, Because in essence, what we're discovering is there is a tiny, tiny, tiny minority of very loud, screechy people uh, who it only takes one or two complaints. And that gets people taken down. It gets their bank accounts canceled. It. The cancel culture is amazing as long as you are the victim. And um, it is, there's no way for free speech and civilization to continue under this kind of a regime, but that's that's what we're facing. Yes, sir? So um, on the Twitch front, remember Twitch, right? I've tried to forget it. <laughs> so they... Um, They've reactivated the account after a 30-day suspension, and they can't figure out why we're not coming back. And I keep getting emails, and I keep sending them emails back and through support and saying, Hey, um, you guys arbitrarily canceled us. You never once gave us an example of how we violated your community standards. Yet, when you actually read point three on the charge that you make against us, it has to do with accusing or... Attacking a religious organization. How is it that what you did here was not an attack on a religious organization? You guys are hypocrites. Just delete the account. You can't be depended on. You can't be trusted. Goodbye. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to do with them. So. Yeah, well, um, that's going to... Look, this is... uh, The kind of secular totalitarianism that has taken over corporations, government across the Western world, uh, not so much in Africa, but everywhere else, um, cannot allow for free speech. You cannot allow for anyone to think other than the way you're supposed to think according to them. Um, They lose their minds when anyone has a thought outside of the realm that they 
demand that we that we possess. And so this is coming for all of us. We were talking more about it in 2021 because we saw all the lockdowns and the vax stuff and everything else. It's coming back. Um, we, we will not escape this. Um, th- like I said, banking and boy, once they've got digital currency, um, that's it. I, I don't have the answers as to how we will be able to continue to try to be of encouragement and to discuss important subjects and to get information out there and do research and things like that. I don't know. I just don't know. Um, you know, there's the dark web and stuff like that, I suppose. I don't know about that stuff. And most people who really need the ministry we provide don't know about that stuff either. And I can guarantee you what will eventually happen is uh, it will be illegal to even try to access such things. And then they'll just put away anybody they want to put away by accusing you of trying to access that. And since they probably have access to your computer anyways, they can make it look like you did. Um, That's what monoparties, we have all these books that described all this stuff. 40, 50 years ago. And yet we're doing it. Despite the fact that 40, 50 years ago, people were saying, you know, things keep going this way. Uh, this could happen. And we were we were just like, didn't even see it coming. So while we still have the opportunity, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the things that, that are important. Um, I just made a mistake. Um, and uh, I wonder if I can get back to that. Oh, good. Nope, I didn't. Oh, is it here? Okay, good. All right. <clears throat> couple things. Uh, I need to get to a Catholic Answers article that I had never seen until yesterday, I think. It was published on my birthday last year by Joe Heschmeyer, who looks about... Um, well, I don't think Joe Heschmeyer was around when we were doing all the debates with Catholic Answers. Let's just put it that way. I think he's that young. Um, I want to take a look at that um, article, which, again, I said, just saw it and went, oh, okay, there's something we need to, to respond to. Before we get to that and the uh, uh, debate threads that developed uh, without my input or permission, uh, I would I would add, uh, over the past, I don't know, week or so. A couple things that, again, I'm hesitant to address it, not for any other reason than this particular program could just disappear in the middle of its, uh, in the middle of its being broadcast. Um, because the topics that we need to talk about, again, are no longer topics that allow for free speech. But we'll take a shot, and if that means we're back on Odyssey on Thursday, then that that's what it means. But two things over the past 24 hours. One was a video of a Charlie Kirk Turning Point USA event. Charlie Kirk has a black male on the stage with him, who I guess is a self-professed homosexual, in fact, calls himself a gay Christian. 
I don't know anything about the man. Um, like I said, the, the video just sort of popped up last evening. And <clears throat> a fellow in the audience basically asks, how can we be defending conservatism when we won't hold the line on marriage, homosexuality, transgenderism, all of these types of things. And at the same time, you have that video, which did not turn out well. Let's just put it that way. Um, There really wasn't an answer given other than we just need a big tent and there are other important things to focus upon. And we need to have people like this in our movement. At the same time, Ted Cruz um, posted a tweet. The nation of Uganda has passed a law criminalizing homosexuality. And in fact, including, I believe, the death penalty for exacerbated homosexuality or something. Whatever term they're using. And all of a sudden, people are having to think about stuff that they didn't have to think about again prior to 2020. I would like to ask Ted Cruz... Um, what he thinks about Leviticus 18 and 20 and whether the Mosaic Code was horrific and wrong. But I'd have to ask that question of pretty much every evangelical across the Western world. I think, I could be wrong, But I think the answers today would be different in 2023 than they would have been five years ago. I don't think the vast majority of us had even given consideration. I had, obviously, but I don't think the vast majority of evangelicals had even given consideration to the concept and to the relevance of God's law in the modern context. Most people are probably not aware of the fact that sodomy was a crime in the United States uh, from the beginning. The Founding Fathers certainly did not believe it was one of the human rights um, that have since been discovered in their writings that they didn't know were there at all. And that these had been overturned only recently. American history is not the biggest strength of most Americans, unfortunately. But the real issue is, if we were to honestly ask, if we were to honestly ask most church-attending Christians, I way over-fizzed my fizzy water today. I mean, it kept overflowing. It is, wow. Anyway, if we were to ask 
pretty much everybody attending church is coming Sunday. About that Ugandan law, I think 99% of people would go, oh, that's a, I agree with Ted Cruz, it's terrible. And then if you were to say, was living under God's law under Moses a horrific and wrong thing? Yeah, you're right, aggravated homosexuality. Um, was it was that grotesque and an abomination? Really poorly chosen terms there from Senator Cruz, <laughs> since that's the term used in Leviticus um, 18 and 20 of that activity. Um, what would they say then? Well, that was then. This is now. Okay. So the nature of the law that defined sin so that there was a need for a propitiatory sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. That law is horrific, wrong, grotesque, and abomination. Is that right? Christians really struggle. When the law was first given, you know, there's a man that went out, broke the Sabbath law, he was stoned. And modern sensibilities that live very, very sheltered lives, modern sensibilities go, no, 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 I'm not, mm-mm. I'm not going to accept that. I, I can't accept that. I can't go there. I can't do that. Um, without realizing the disjunction that will eventually lead to you unhitching the Old Testament from the New Testament. That's where it goes. There, there's no way to avoid it. That's been the process. Uh, it's I just, I can't believe that God would wipe out the Amorites because the idea of the wrath of God against a horrifically sinful nation like our own, not like we've done anything worse than the Amorites, we have. That's just not, it's not there. And that's why your doctrine of atonement amongst a large portion of Christians is weak sauce. It's it's emotional. It it isn't biblical. That's why much of what Hebrews says is just lost on people. Because it's all based upon that Levitical law that they don't even read anymore because they don't like it. It doesn't fit my views. That's that's where we are. That's where we are. And so <clears throat> It has been well said that there should be no problem passages in the Bible. Not that there are not passages that are difficult or take um, a lot of study to understand, things like that. But once you understand what it said, it shouldn't be a problem anymore. But that's not where the vast majority of Christians are. The vast majority of professing Christians do believe that they have the right to pass judgment 
on God's law and God's word and what God has done in the past. You know, my God wouldn't do that. Well, then your God is an idol. Your God is you. (laughs) I wouldn't do that, so my God wouldn't do that. So I'm God. That's pretty much how it functions. So here's a situation where, once again, we have been given the opportunity to think through something, to think it through well. And when you saw this, when you saw what Senator Cruz said, um, what was your thought? What was your thinking? What did you think at that point in time? Did you go, he's missed something here? Or we've outgrown the Mosaic Code. There's a lot of Christians who believe that. That we've outgrown the Mosaic Code. Because they recognize, well, you know, it's been fulfilled. Okay, everything is prophetic, uh, ceremonial, that, that marked, and here's the big one, that marked the people of Israel as they were being the people through whom the promise would come. but you can't get away from the moral content of the Mosaic Code and the fact that the apostles continued to believe that it was a fundamental standard. You can't get away from that. But people don't like it. And we're not going to have a consistent response. So let's... We've thought about that. Okay. Have to think through... Does Uganda have the right to do this as a nation? Um, then we, we go to the Charlie Kirk thing. Now, Charlie Kirk's based here in Phoenix. I've never met the man. I don't know anything about him. Um, really don't. He's based here in Phoenix. And at this point, we are we have to once again look at, there are those who are saying we need the big tent. We need the numbers. Um, We need to have this movement to preserve the United States. Okay? Um, and what's going to be the basis of that preservation? What what United States is going to be preserved? Because what Charlie Kirk may or may not understand is the Founding Fathers would not have been sitting where he was sitting in that context. They They would not have accepted the idea of the redefinition of marriage, the profaning of marriage, the profaning of sexuality, the profaning of gender, didn't buy any of that. And so what we've done is we've created this uh, this way of thinking where it's like, well, we really appreciate the big ideas they had, but you know we've we've come up with really better applications and better understandings. And what we're saying is we have a, a higher moral plane than they did. And what that means is that moral plane no longer is based upon mankind as being made in the image of God. And so we have a number of people who are saying, well, it's almost June, and you just, you just, you just be ready. And 
it is going to be worse than ever. I was looking at an email from a company that I, I do business with, and oh my goodness, the pride stuff is unbelievable. It, 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 it's, it is going to be at a level we've never seen it before. And I talked about this last week and the week before that. Um, and there's you know, deep temptation, you know. But then I, I look, I look around and I go, okay, if I stop doing business with them, who am I going to do business with? They're all doing the same thing. They're all doing the same thing, and for all the same reasons. Anybody who stands up and says we're not going to do this is just going to get hammered. They're 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 going to be destroyed. So, what's the answer? If if we call ourselves conservatives, what are we conserving? What what is there to conserve? What what has value? If the male female relationship, if the family, mother, father, the biggest problem in our country is that we think that any man and any woman of almost any age anymore can have sex just for the fun of it, and that's the ultimate good. There's no such thing as adultery anymore. There's no such thing as fornication anymore. Those are good things. And so, what kind of political alliances can be produced when you can't answer the question, what are we conserving? And why is it of value? So if you've got Charlie Kirk sitting next to a quote-unquote gay Christian, I'd love to talk to this fellow about why that is an oxymoron. It doesn't work. It's unbiblical. We've addressed it a thousand times, and I know that there are plenty of apostate progressivists out there that will pat you on the back and say, oh, yeah, you're right with Jesus. Don't worry about any of that Bible stuff. I know. That's why they're there. That's why they're doing what they're doing. That's their whole function in this whole mess. But I'm not interested in conserving that. I can't be interested in conserving that. There has to be a foundation. There has to be a worldview that makes sense, that gives guidance to any kind of governmental system. And that's the problem with Donald Trump. He doesn't have that worldview either. I'm sorry, all of you who are just massive, you know, you, I see you driving down the road. By the way, that big old honking Trump flag really destroys your gas mileage. I just thought I'd mention that to you in passing. Um, you know, it's like putting a sail behind. Just, <clears throat> I don't know what you're losing, but you're, it's a, it's a lot. I hate to tell you, he doesn't have it either. In fact, especially on this subject, did you see the thing he had at Mar-a-Lago only a few months ago? You know, all the log cabin Republicans and all the rest of that stuff. 
and what's her face here in in Arizona? Sorry, just lost the name. Ran for governor, should have won. Carrie Lake was there. Yeah, Carrie Lake was there. Carrie Lake may end up still being the governor of Arizona the way things are going. Um, some of the evidence that I, did you see the the videos? Oh my gosh! I mean, if that doesn't get over to move along, let's not talk. That's right, can't talk about that. If that election doesn't get overturned, no election will ever get overturned. If you can have video of the people reprogramming the voting machines and it still doesn't get overturned, it's done. Just don't even bother with elections. It's it's over with. I, I, here in Maricopa County, forget it. Forget it. it if, if those people don't end up in jail, just just don't even. I'm not going to bother. That there's There's no reason to. Anyway, um, Kerry Lake was there, and he doesn't have this worldview. Um, Ted Cruz doesn't have that worldview. And I, I thought of all people he might, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, what are we conserving? That's the question. That's the question. Um, we are called to be faithful even in the midst of judgment. And that's the big issue right now. You got the the young, wild-eyed Christian nationalists over on this side that are thinking that they're um, 5,000 people across the United States are going to rush in and and save everything. Um, Then you've got serious thinkers <clears throat> who are trying to say this is all going to come apart. <coughs> it's going to fall apart. <coughs> Excuse me. It is going to crash and burn. And something has to rise from the ashes. Now we know that the Chinese and the WF and the WHO and BlackRock, and they have a vision of what they want to see rising from the ashes. But the problem is... <coughs> What they want to see requires the fundamental negation of God's creative decree. It can't last. There's no foundation. It has to be... The only foundation is pure force. And the Soviets managed that for 70 years. And with technology, they may double or triple that. I I could see that happening. But it can't last. It will come apart. And what do you do then? What do you do then? That's the issue. It was very disappointing to see that video. And a lot of people are being put in a position where they feel like they're between a rock and a hard place. I get that. But the fact is, the only answer that we have is summed up far too simply but it is summed up in the phrase, it's Christ or chaos. And here's the chaos. The chaos is all around us. So what do we look for? Are we going to try to build a a lean-to in the middle of the hurricane of chaos? No, you got to have a solid foundation. And conservatives don't understand... People who are conservatives politically, but not because of the Lordship of Christ. Don't understand. They look at us and go, you don't get it. We have to have the votes. 
And we go, votes don't change hearts. What are you trying to conserve? And um, so anyway, there's uh, there's that. All right. Uh, wow. It's 1040. How did that happen? There's a really high chance I'm not going to get through all this. But we can try. I don't know who uh, Joe Heschmeyer is, but he um, wrote for Catholic Answers last December. And <clears throat> the white question, what James White gets wrong about Jews and the Bible. Okay. Uh, how did the believing Jewish person know that Isaiah and Second Chronicles are scripture 50 years before Christ? That's the question that the prophet apologist James White asked of his then Catholic opponent, <laughs> Jerry Matatix. I'm really surprised they even used Jerry Matatix in the, uh, even mentioned his name. Um, then Catholic opponent Jerry Matatix, who, of course, was uh, working at Catholic Answers until, was it 92? I, I forget when he left. Might have been. He may have still been there. I think, yes, I think so, even though they recommended. Uh, Rich asked he was out by the time we debated him in, in, in Denver. Was that 93? Um, but the weird thing is, uh, um, it was Catholic Answers that suggested Jerry for that debate, because they were doing a debate up there. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, 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 uh, I, I know. Anyway, in a 1993 radio debate, and for the next 29 years, he's repeated this question, even dubbing it the white question after himself. No, my friend, you are wrong. Uh, Catholic Answers gets, I don't know why it is, but, you know, when they did the, the hit piece on my CRI article in the 90s, they're just not accurate in their information. And I don't know why it is. Um, you can take some guesses, but... Anyway, uh, I did not dub it that at all. I don't remember who it was. It was on a, it was either a uh, interview that was being done with St. Joseph's Catholic Communications, or it was something Tim Staples did. But I was listening, because someone had said you need to listen to this, and this was... This was back... In, I was using a cassette tape recording. And... You know what? Do you have a quick splash screen? Yeah, I do. Could you just pop it up real, real, real fast? Give me, give me just a second. Sure. Uh, we'll be right back. Hold on.
All right, sorry about that. <laughs> Some things just can't wait. <clears throat> I was listening on a cassette tape recording of one of those two sources. It may have been a call-in sh- In fact, now I think about it, it was a call-in show. And it was the Roman Catholics that called it the white question. And I heard it twice. Two different shows may have been two different people. So I did not uh, name it. I did not name it after myself. Somebody else did. And so there's that correction. According to White, Roman Catholics don't have an answer for it. Well, I would agree that's the case. Because uh, Jerry did not have an answer for it. And in the weeks and months afterwards... um, one guy suggested that the only way was to use the Urim and the Thummim, the sacred dice, is the Second Chronicle Scriptures. You know, that type of thing. Um, the other answers were the Jewish Magisterium, which doesn't work because, in fact, that was the other thing I was going to, I knew I'd forgotten something. I was going to grab it, but um, hold it up. Because as has been demonstrated in the Old Testament canon, the New Testament Church, which is a book that should have had like 14 footnotes in this article, but was never mentioned once by Roger Beckwith. As he demonstrated conclusively, uh, the Jewish magisterium did not accept what Rome has defined 1,546 years after Christ um, as the canon of the Old Testament. Um, So, if that magisterium was infallible, then the Roman magisterium is not. For obvious reasons. You can't have one contradicting the other. And so, the answers that have been offered simply have been self-contradictory. Because the recognition of canon over time has been a messy process. And there have been disagreements down through history. And especially on the issue of the Apocryphal books. New Testament stuff, not so much. Um, Really, you you don't have that. But of course, New Testament's a smaller, smaller body of documents than the Old Testament is. The New Testament's written in a much shorter time period. And there's a lot of differences in how the New Testament is transmitted over the Old Testament. But the fact is, and here is, here is the fact that was not dealt with in this article at all. You had two traditions that can be easily traced in church history. You have a tradition represented by someone like Augustine who accepts the canonical status of the apocryphal books, the deuterocanonicals, as they're called by Roman Catholics, and does so basically upon the acceptance of the Septuagint as a whole and the form of the Septuagint that they experienced, that they, the manuscripts that they had access to. And then you have a tradition 
that is made up of the people that knew the most about the Old Testament and the Hebrew language. There really is a distinction. When you look at the people who actually learned Hebrew, interacted with Jews, learned Hebrew from Jews. When you look at a Melito of Sardis, um, when you when you look at Jerome, they recognize that the Jews did not accept these books as scripture. And since the oracles of God were entrusted to the people of Israel, Romans chapter 3, then that was definitive for them. And this continues on. This is represented by Pope Gregory the Great, who plainly said that the book of Maccabees were not canonical. This was the Pope in Rome. All the way through to Cardinal Jimenez, who interviewed Luther at the time of the Reformation, who in his commentaries likewise said that the apocryphal books were not to be considered canonical scripture, and primarily because he was representing Jerome's perspective. So you have two parallel traditions, the less informed and the more informed. You come to the Council of Trent, and the Trent is a and Trent is a reactionary council. It is reacting against the Protestant Reformation. And because of the incredibly weak references in Maccabees that are they're taken as being supportive purgatory. They're not. They had idols on their bodies for crying out loud. It was not it was not venial sin and mortal sin. It's just amazing at, at how far you've got to stretch. Someone gave me a stretch Armstrong. I forgot to bring it in. It's actually out in the kitchen. Someone while I was traveling gave me a stretch Armstrong to use for for when you're stretching the truth. Uh, but because of that, a group of people, and I would say 99.9995% of the human race has no earthly idea who all the bishops at Trent were. Or why they should all of a sudden be granted the final access to God's mind when it comes to Scripture. Because if, if you're a Roman Catholic, Trent dogmatically defined the canon for you. And you see, the issue here is that, especially back in the 90s, especially back when I was debating geriatrics on this subject, I've told the story before, but when Jerry and I had talked about the two subjects we were going to do, we decided to do justification and the Apocrypha. And we sort of jokingly said, wow, I hope we can um, I hope we can be heard over the snoring, I think was the actual joke that was that was being that we were bantering back and forth. I hope we can we can hear over the the snoring. Uh, when we when we do the apocrypha debate, that's not how it turned out. The apocrypha debate was considerably more contested, and rawr, um, if rawr is a description, um, than the justification debate was. And when we got to the end, I 
when I got to my final closing statement, I, I said, I hope that what you understand, you, you've heard here this evening, is Jerry's argument is the Apocrypha is Scripture because we say so. And we're right. And, you know, when you think about it, when you think about what Trent Horn said in that post-debate thing that he did a few months ago after the Sola Scriptura debate with Gavin Ortland, that's basically what he said, too. This is, the only thing that's worth debating is this subject. Because if we're right, we're right. There's no reason to debate um, the Apocrypha. We're right. We're the church. We tell you what to believe. Sola Ecclesia. It's Sola Ecclesia versus Sola Scriptura. That's all it is. And there is a sense in which when you're talking about ultimate authorities, that's yeah, that, that's what it boils down to. But of course, our perspective is God's revelation is true over history. So, um, you know, if Roman Catholicism is going to say, well, the Pope has always been the infallible vicar of Christ, you, you might be able to demonstrate that through history, but you can't. You know you can't. You know that flies in the face of everything that took place in church history. Um, but, you know, I, I keep reminding everybody, when John Paul II was still alive, he put out a, a um, statement that was very clearly in, in contradiction uh, to what had been said by in Unum Sanctum <clears throat> long, long ago by a previous pope, obviously. And when I point out the contrast, it was Bob St. Genis who said, you don't have the right to interpret what the church has said in the past. Only the church has the right to interpret what the church has said in the past. So it's a vicious circle. <clears throat> but at least it, it demonstrates and illustrates that it is just that. We are right because we are right. That's, that's what it boils down to. So... The answer that is given, and there's a bunch of stuff I could have looked, you know, there's, there's, it took the time to quote a number of things that I've written at various uh, places. It is interesting, a um, number of quotes from like Dei Verbum, they have, speaking of scripture, <clears throat> they have God as their author. Sounds like what Theonustos means. Oh, but, but Theonustos means life-giving, not God breathed, right? <laughs> Just reminding you of a really... In fact, I don't even think the guy who wrote the article was a Catholic. It still amazes me. It still amazes me that Trent Horn did that, that he actually pulled out this weird article trying to argue that Theonustos, that, that Paul's argument is life-giving. Yeah, scriptures are life-giving, that's true, but that's not, that's not how it fits in the context of Second Timothy at all. Um, and, and there have been some really wacky articles. Maybe he didn't run across the other article uh, published about 10 years ago trying to come up with a completely different meaning for Theonistos. There's been a bunch of them out there. It's, but wouldn't it be wonderful if the Roman Catholic Church would come out and infallibly define these things? But they won't. They won't. You would think after 2,000 years we would have the infallible commentary. You could just turn to it. There it is. Won't do it. Um, you know, no more than Sixtus's infallible Vulgate or all of the papal encyclicals that said capital punishment 
ordained by God, but not anymore. <laughs> and let me just put something out to you. Again, uh, I really doubt, and I, and I said this before, but I'll say it again. Look, you know, I, I, I appreciate Roman Catholic apologetics will always be conservative because only conservatives have something to defend. Their progressives don't have anything to defend, so they don't do apologetics. But you look at the people. Your own pope has put two advocates of pro-choice positions on Vatican councils within the past six months. Have you been watching the people he's put on the papal biblical commission, people? Your your apologetics are so much more conservative than your leadership is that it makes all of us sit back and go, guys, have you noticed? <laughs> Look behind you. <laughs> See the people sawing the, the, the limb you're standing on? <laughs> They're your guys. They're not our guys. <laughs> have you looked? Do, do you know what South American Roman Catholic theology is all about? And, and what if the next Pope, and I've heard a lot of rumors about Francis's health recently, what, what if the next Pope is one of the people, one of his acolytes that he's put into position of cardinal? Uh, what if you know, he's packed that college? What if they continue? And there's more of these people, and more of these people. You have to change your beliefs because they're the ones to tell you what to believe. You you don't see that? You don't have an objective foundation. That's why I was really interested to see someone who was actually interacting with what Francis has done about the death penalty and about capital punishment, saying, he can't do that. He can't do that. This is the this is the constant teaching of the you just can't change the constant teaching of the church. Who gets to define what the constant teaching of the church is? I can read Dei Verbum, and I can read Unum Sanctum, and I can go back to the context of Unum Sanctum. I can go back to the context of Dei Verbum, right? Can't we all? No, not if you're Roman Catholic. The context is irrelevant. It means nothing. If the modern church says, this is what they meant back then, that's what they meant back then. You have to accept that. you got to go there. You're stuck with it. So, make a long story short here, um, the answer given by uh, Joe Heschmeyer is the census fidelium. So how did the Jewish people know which books belong in their Bible? Because God revealed it, not through another writing, such as the heavenly table of contents, but a body, the people of God. That's great. Only one problem. If he was actually interacting, because he quotes from me a lot, but what he doesn't quote from is then the demonstration that the Jewish, the people of God, the Jewish people, did not accept those books as scripture. They recognized that they were, that the bath coal had stopped. This bath coal, the voice of God, had ceased. The spirit of prophecy had ceased with Malachi. They recognized that. And so they didn't 
view these books. They didn't make the hands dirty. They had not been laid up in the temple. And all this is in the debates we've did. We did not so much in the first debate, um, but rather fully laid out in the debate with Gary Machuda, which is still available. So the answer given here is only for people who want to find an answer, but don't want to have to think too deeply about it. Because it's really nice to say that, but the fact is that the canon defined by people you don't know and have no reason to believe had access to some apostolic tradition 1,546 years after the birth of Christ is different than the canon that would have been recognized by the Jews to whom Jesus was speaking in the New Testament. And we can go through, you know, there's he mentions the argument here about the Sadducees. There's really a lot of question about, about that, whether they had a two-layer canon or just only the Pentateuch and all the rest of that kind of stuff. <clears throat> even brings that particular argument up. But when you look at the apostolic example, what the apostles quote as scripture, it's consistent with what the Jews as a group preserved as scripture and viewed as scripture had laid up in the temple prior to its destruction in AD 70 and prior to the birth of Jesus. So, this the answer is still not given because the answer is just a fancy way of saying the Jewish magisterium. But the Jewish magisterium does not give you what Trent gave you. You still have the same con, con, contradiction. And the point was, back then, the argument that was being made was, without our infallible canon, you can't have scripture at all. Which means nobody had scripture until 1546. But then they got a different scripture than they would have had 50 years before Christ. It doesn't work. These claims of ultimate authority that Rome makes, they just don't work. You push them far enough and they fall apart. They fall apart. So, I appreciate the uh, the argument, um, but the the reality is that <clears throat> you know, and, and it's, it's funny because, and so we ought to, the, the final paragraph, and so we ought to look to the church, not only for the proper 73 book canon of scripture, but also for the meaning of those books. Or in Jerome's words, we ought to remain in that church, which was founded by the apostles and continues to this day. Except Jerome recognized that those very books were not canonical. They did not have the same value he thought they were valuable, but he did not view them as scripture. Why quote him? Isn't that somewhat like, um, but, um, okay. But then please notice what he says here. Not only for the proper canon of scripture, but also the meaning of those books. That sounds like who defines what scripture is, who defines what scripture means, who defines what tradition is, who defines what tradition means. Oh, that's the church. Sola Ecclesia. No matter how hard they try to say, no, 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 no. As soon as they make an argument, they prove the point. You believe in Sola Ecclesia. The church is your final authority. 
But the problem is, your church is changing. Your church is changing and has changed in the past. <clears throat> so let's talk a little bit about debates. Um, we're going a little bit over time, but that's all right. Let's let's talk about debates. Um, once again, let, let me let me make sure everyone understands. I <clears throat> I was coming back last week. I left on Monday. <clears throat> um, some of you can drive for seven, eight hours a day. Uh, I can do that like one day, and then that's going to be it for a while. So, you know, it's, it's the way we travel now. It's the way it is. Uh, <clears throat> just physically, especially with the problems I now have with my left arm, um, if I do much more than three and a half, four hours, I'm going to be in a world of hurt. And unfortunately, I designed the next trip before that happened. <laughs> so I'm going to be doing a number of five and six hour days. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how that's going to work. But anyway, I'm coming back and I'm getting sick. I started feeling something like on Tuesday night. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you got that wonderful sore throat. And it's like, ah, here it comes. You, It's just... Once you get to my age, you recognize all the all the signs and have recognized them for years and years and years. Anyway, so I don't have a whole lot of uh, time for social media, and I start seeing all this stuff. There's some guy, some guy became Roman Catholic, and as normal, what you notice is, you know, Roman Catholics celebrate conversion to a church, Protestants convert. Protestants celebrate conversion to Christ and then service in the church. It's very different. And some guy, you know, posted some picture of his conversion to Roman Catholicism, blah, blah, blah. Um, and somehow a conversation got started about debates. And our dearly beloved Algo uh, decided to jump in with both feet, both hands, and um, and keyboard. And Brother Algo just got more than slightly uh, overly excited. And I'm, I'm, I'm not even seeing most of this, but stuff would come up because I got tagged in the thread. And Trent Horn's in it, and Jimmy Aiken's in it, and I'm sitting here going, what on earth is going on? I'm going to... I would have to sit down, and this is one of the problems with this, especially if you try to jump into something days later, trying to find which thread something was said in. Somebody will say something, you go, where did that come from? I don't know. It's because it's on a thread over here, and then it came over. We've all experienced it. <clears throat> and it's a bit on the frustrating side. <clears throat> but I did have a guy, really annoying guy, uh, come up to me in Salt Lake City. I think both before and after the debate that Jeff and I did with the atheist. <clears throat> and his whole thing was, you've got to debate Jimmy Akin and Sola Scriptura. And I'm like, okay, how many times have we debated Sola Scriptura so far? I, I, I've lost I've lost track how many Sola Scriptura debates we've done. But what about the other topics that are right there front and center right now that are relevant to the issues now 
You have a pope. And I'm old enough to know that his his theology, his practice, is not the practice of John Paul II, okay? Um, I mean, I, I don't remember Vatican II, but um, <clears throat> a lot of things be a-changing. And it seems like y'all don't want to talk about that. And you don't want to deal with that issue. So I, you know, I, I was like, dude, we're here debating atheists. Why don't you go away? Anyway, uh, so I'm starting seeing all this stuff and well, debate this subject, debate that. There's only one person. Well, there's two people. I would, I would allow Rich to do this, but if it's, if I'm not the one talking about it, then that's not representing me. And arranging debates today is a lot different than it used to be. I don't like all this stuff where debates are being done on a week's notice. Maybe because I'm just stupid and slow. But I spent six months preparing for my debate with uh, Bart Ehrman, uh, James Price, John Dominic Cawson. Hundreds of hours. And hopefully that's made those debates have much longer lasting value than the let's do a debate on my video cam in my basement with the fan going in the background type stuff that has now become rather prevalent. I could certainly see the possibility of some narrow topic debates that could be done electronically. I prefer in-person debating. Um, I think it's more coherent. I think it's more personable. But these days, it doesn't have to be that way. And we're certainly getting to the point where... Um, I would like to have a debate um, on the road in my in my studio. I think that'd be great. Uh, I think it's perfectly doable. It could be a little bit on the challenging side. You've got technical stuff you're doing at the same time you're trying to <clears throat> concentrate, and that could throw throw you off. But I, I I certainly think that it would be it would be a doable thing. Uh <clears throat> I think, again, if what Trent Horn said is now the Catholic answer's position, that this is the only topic that we're going to debate, um, Sola Scriptura, or then he says, apostolic succession. Now that's fascinating, because that's not the Roman Catholic position. Oh, yes it is. Okay, all right. I, I know you believe in... Whatever you call apostolic succession, the Eastern Orthodox have their view, the Anglicans have their view, for crying out loud. But that's not the ultimate authority claim of the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, but it's important, but it's not the ultimate claim. All you have to do is look at the history of conciliarism. All you have to do is to recognize um, that 
there is a fundamentally definitional aspect of the authority of the Bishop of Rome as the personal successor of Peter that transcends any concept of apostolic succession and defines the specific claims of Rome over against something as like Eastern Orthodoxy. Because Eastern Orthodoxy has its own doctrine of apostolic succession. So, it sounds like, well, you know, we recognize that if we're taking the negative against the other side's positive about Scripture being the sole infallible rule of faith, yeah, we do sort of have to defend our side, even though it's not been something they've done a lot. So we'll defend something more generic. That I don't think that ever would have been suggested in the 1990s. As long as John Paul II was right, alive, I don't think this conversation would have would have taken place. I really, really don't. Um, and I find that fascinating. I think it's I think it is really, really interesting. But <clears throat> I did see, and I'm not sure if it's. Yeah, no, it disappeared. Um, there was a point, I thought, I could be wrong about this because I can't pull it up now. Um, Twitter keeps, you know, how it changes. Ah, hey, I found it. Look at that. It is Jimmy Aiken. As long as Jimmy Aiken 3000 is Jimmy Aiken 3000. Uh, if one has a sola scriptura perspective, yes, that would be the question. And the answer is yes, it does. Well, what's that in response to? Anna Maria Perez had said, Okay, here was um Okay, here okay, 23 hours is that 23 hours from now ago? I who knows. Trent Horan said, "James, I have said countless time times, I imagine. I'm happy to debate major issues with you. Sola scriptura, apostolic succession with mutually agreed upon definition. Do Marian dogmas contradict scripture?" I'm even open to, can Christians believe in pur- pur- purgatory? What would be your exact Francis resolution? Okay, that's useful. And then Jimmy Aiken had said, okay, bleep, bleep. Anna Maria Perez had said, can Christians believe in purgatory? Christians can believe in leprechauns if they want. The question is moot. The question should be, does the Bible support purgatory? Now that was, I agree with Anna Maria, Maria on that. Um, and that was my first thought when I when I saw Trent Horn's tweet is not, can Christians believe in purgatory? But um, did the apostles teach purgatory or is purgatory uh, consistent with apostolic teaching in scripture or something along those lines? Um, And then Jimmy Aiken said, if one has a sola scriptura perspective, yes, that would be the question. That is, does the Bible support purgatory? And the answer is yes, it does. Now, that really surprises... Well, okay, it doesn't surprise me. I know that Trent Horn and Jimmy Aiken both believe in purgatory. But didn't... Hasn't that already... Didn't we already demonstrate that there are some really fundamental problems here? Or are you all admitting that the debates we've done in the past, your side lost? Um, Because... um, 
the Long Island debate on that subject with the editor of the Catholic Answer was really clear. Okay, I think that was really obvious. And I think the debate with with, uh, Tim Staples was very clear as well. Uh, Very straightforward. So are you saying you all have a better presentation to make? Okay, you have to have a better presentation to make than was made in the first debate. Because when you talk about Jimmy Swaggart, okay, that was, yeah, okay, that was bad. But Tim Staples? You got a better presentation to make than that? I'd, I'd love to hear it. Um, that one, most definitely. Um, Marion Dogmas? Is Trent Horn actually saying that you would defend the bodily assumption of Mary, the Immaculate Conception, perpetual virginity? Not all at the same time. We did that once. It's doesn't. It would be. I'm just sitting here spitballing, but it 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 would be interesting to do those dogmas. Um, maybe electronically. In other words, it, online. Um. I can see value in that. I can see value in that. And one of the main reasons being that the recording that we did with Jerry, and of course, from your perspective, I don't know what you'd say about Jerry anymore. I'll, I'll, okay, I, I don't know. I, I haven't asked where you'd, if you'd even want to mention his name. But anyway, uh, is that what you're saying? You'd be, able, be willing to do that. And... uh can Christians believe in purgatory? That's obviously um, Anna Maria Perez was right. I wouldn't debate that one for a second because Christians believe in a lot of silly stuff. But did the apostles teach purgatory? Is purgatory contradictory to the apostolic testimony? Things like that. Uh, you bet. I think that's that's right up there. <clears throat> but what would be your exact Francis resolution? That has been the problem since the beginning. I forget now because we had we had an agreement with um, Tim Staples to debate in Sydney, Australia. I think that was 2018. Might have been 2019, but I think it was 2018. I think it was the trip before the last trip I took to Australia. And it was going to be on the papacy. It was going to be on something related to Francis. And I can't remember now what the exact wording was. But I think that was also why it got canceled. Um, because, and here's part of the reason. Here's part of the problem, whether you want to accept this part or not. My assertion is that doctrines such as papal infallibility are utterly worthless doctrines. They're utterly worthless doctrines. And what do I mean by that? Um, They don't mean anything. The Pope is infallible unless he's not. 
So Honorius was a heretic, but he didn't infallibly teach it. (laughs) Even though for 400 years, his successors had to anathematize him as a heretic when they became Pope for not having officially taught heresy. It just, it's, it's historically laughable. And in my debates with Tim Staples and Robertson Jennings, they, they took polar opposite positions on that subject. And so it, it just, it just seems utterly rid- ridiculous. I just realized this shot you have right now uh, has Martin Luther's, Have him looking at the camera? Well, the funny thing is, you know, so now, okay, because we've got this, this little guy too, and he's, he's lost his home. He used to be up in the corner. Um, and we've got tribbles over here. And all sorts of stuff. So yeah, um, we'll 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 figure all this stuff out eventually. But I just looked up there and saw that. I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. So why not? If you're gonna have that there, yeah. <clears throat> okay. What were we talking about? I don't remember. So Moses was in the bulrushes, and uh, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we were talking about uh, debate topics here. Um, the the problem is how to ask the question why is it trent jimmy that you know that your relationship to the papacy today is different than it was 20 years ago with john paul ii john paul ii has decried sheep stealing trying to convert people from other Christian churches. I'm sorry, Francis said that, not John Paul II. Um, If I said John Paul II, I meant Francis. Um, John Paul II would never, when a question about homosexuality was raised, would never have said, who am I to judge? Um, I, I, I I don't know how anyone who claims to be any kind of bishop in the Church of Christ could make that kind of statement, given what we see going on today. <clears throat> I, would, I would wonder what you all think about capital punishment in light of the change to Catholic catechism. Because you know how pretty easy it would be to historically demonstrate the consistency of Rome's view on that subject for centuries on end and practice on that subject for centuries on end. I wonder how that fits in uh, as well. So, I have... I would love to see... Um, a means of doing both digital as well as in-person stuff. But it has to be scheduled way out um, because I schedule everything 
way out because of the way I travel now. And you can't complain about that. Jimmy cannot complain about that because Jimmy would not fly for decades. And he knows. Chris Arnzen will tell you how many times Chris Arnzen contacted Jimmy Aiken to be a part of the great debate series on Long Island. And Jimmy Aiken doesn't like to fly. It's not that I don't like to fly. I flew 165,000 miles in 2019 alone. I have like 760,000 miles um, toward my million-mile thing, which I'll never get to, on uh, American Airlines. It's not, that's not what the issue is. The issue is very different now. Um, but putting together that kind of in-person debate requires some kind of financial backing, and it requires a context where a conference is already going to be being taken place so you can provide the funds and stuff. Um, I have a thought for one in an, in an area where Roman Catholicism is very prevalent and hence um, would probably be, we'd get support from both sides. Let's put it that way. And hence might be able to split those costs and things like that, um, that I want to try to pursue. Uh, but we also might want to try a focused uh, electronic debate. Um, maybe on just one of the Marian dogmas. Um, and tr- see if we couldn't do that either in this studio, the big studio, um, however you all would work that out. Um, Rich would have to be involved as far as you know, I don't know what technology Catholic Answers uses to do remotes and things like that. But as you all know who have done those things, you've got to jump through a lot of hoops to make that happen. I think that's great because if I'm reading this tweet correctly, this sounds different than what was said on the post-debate conversation. Okay. Um, all right. That sounds good to me, but it's not what you was said before. And that's where the, where the problem lies. Um, but definitely the purgatory thing. Um, definitely uh, the Marian dogmas. Um, and I would like to know why you believe that Well, I, I see the things that Francis says that give you an idea of what he believes are not the things that are official. So how do you gain how do you gain insight into the infallible vicar of Christ's guidance if what he says and teaches if what he prays, if what he he says to the young boy about his atheist father, well, that's not official. So Honorius's letter to Sergius was, but what you say in public isn't. What good is Francis? What good is he? 
does his alteration of the Catholic Catechism amount to an official teaching? Why would a Catholic, and I and I, I can guarantee you I could find plenty who would say this, why would a Catholic who takes Francis's alteration of the Catechism as official teaching of the Church, why would they be wrong? Are they wrong? Is that the official teaching of the Church? Has the official teaching of the Church changed? Is that a... Is that a debatable issue? Those are some of the questions um, that I think need to be, that would be useful to be addressed. Because anymore, when when Jerry Matatix called our office in, I don't know, was it June, July of 1990? The reasons for debating and the context of debating were very different than they are today. I'm not just talking about pre-COVID, post-COVID. John Paul II versus Francis. Uh, electronic medium. Um, now, more than ever, back then we just wanted to have a voice. We just wanted to be heard in what we had to say. Now the issue is when we speak and when we invest the time because I will invest time and preparation what we produce needs to be worthwhile after we're gone that's what's important for me that's what's important for me so alrighty I hope that addressed some of those things Um, Algo we love you but you gotta cool your jets sometimes you run ahead and I'm not 30 anymore. Um, so, chill, dude. <laughs> Relax. Take a deep breath. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll go from there. So thanks for watching the program today. Hope it was useful to you. We'll see you next time. God bless.